we're in a situation where we agreed that uh, fentanyl and its, precur its precursors will be curbed substantially and the pill presses. That's a big, that's a big movement. We're reassuming military-to-military -military contacts, direct contacts. As a lot of you press know who follow this, that's been cut off, and it's been very worrisome. That's how accidents happen, misunderstandings. So we're back to direct, open, clear, direct communications on a, on a, ba on a direct basis. Vital miscalculations on either side can, uh, can cause real, real trouble with, a, with a, a, a country like China or any other major country. And so I think we're made real progress there as well. Do I trust you? I trust but verify, as the old saying goes. That's where I am. And, uh, you know, uh, we're in a competitive relationship, China and the United States. But uh, my responsibility is to, uh, to make, it, uh, make this rational and manageable so it, uh, so it doesn't result in conflict. That's what I'm all about. That's what this is about. And Mr. President, after today, would you still defer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. Anyway, the most Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. My name is Andy Libson. I'm a teacher and socialist here in Oakland, and I'm joined by Kenny Zapeda, who is a socialist out in Central Valley. Um, we are online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find a link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episode, and jot down our information wherever you found this episode. Um, so today you'll see that. Eduardo is not here. Um, it's just me and Kenny. Um, but he isn't here. He is here in spirit because this week's episode is going to be something that Eduardo wanted to actually do, but he can't make it, uh, which is discuss the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation meeting that's taking place very close to, well, very close to Eduardo, <laughs> where Eduardo used to be. Till he was, now he's in Colombia right now. Then, you know, um, I'm in Oakland, but it's here in the Bay Area. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Joe Biden and Xi, God damn it. How do you pronounce this guy's name? Xi Jinping. Joe Biden and Xi Jinping are, have just actually had their four hour meeting together. Um, and Eduardo thought that since this was happening near us, we should discuss it. And honestly, I wasn't that thrilled about it because I was like, I don't really want to discuss this stupid meeting. Um, but. The more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe there is something to worth talking about here. Um, and uh, so Eduardo's not here, but his the idea for the meeting is, the idea for our discussion is, so um, that's what me, Kenny and I will be talking about is APEC. So, yeah, and um, I didn't know much about APEC until, you know, this uh, meeting was um, elevated in the news, right, like as something significant of, uh, you know, these two heads of state uh, of uh, competing nations uh, meeting after um, so much uh, 
fallout, at least you know, in the public eye, uh, since uh, the last visit of Xi Jinping to the United States, which was in 2017, I believe, with Trump. And so ever since then, so many things have happened in the, you know, and the view of the world you know, in the news cycle. Um, I wrote some stuff that, uh, that I think has happened. So significant things that have happened since then, you know. So Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan, if you remember, and that became like a tense moment. Uh, there were like military uh, maneuvers by China around the island uh, to kind of do a show of force. Uh, the spy balloons, right? Like the claim that the Chinese sent some balloons uh, to spy on the U.S. territory. Um, yeah. COVID, <laughs> the origins of COVID, obviously that's massive. Uh, and, you know, the Wuhan lab and all that stuff. Um, and obviously um, a lot has happened since COVID, but, you know, among other things, there's TikTok, right? Like there's been an attempt to ban TikTok uh, because it's a, uh, Chinese uh, of, of Chinese technology, and you know the claim that they are um, uh, collecting our data, right? <laughs> the Chinese and they're more evil for some reason than our own ruling class. Uh, other things, Huawei uh, is one of the major technology, like a the technology producing companies from China, right? And it's banned in the U.S. That you know, I know those cell phones, for example, are very um, popular in Central America. And like, I suppose in a lot of poor countries because they're affordable and they're like smartphones. And, you know, Ukraine, Israel, fentanyl. So, so a lot of things have happened and these two haven't seen each other in person. Uh, and so that's why it's been in the news. And you know, that's why I, I, I decided to, to look into what's, what's this about, what's APEC, you know, uh, maybe we should start with that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I think it's it's not a throwaway to say uh, uh, Ukraine because um, since the war in Ukraine started, Russia and China have become much more um, entangled with each other, you know, politically. Um, and of course, since you started your your statement in 2017, it would also be worth bringing up the national strategic documents that have come out in 2018 and 2022 which emphasized from the United States point of view that in, in 2018, it was Russia and China were the preemptive. It was no longer the war on terror. It was Russia and China seen as the big, the big problems. Um, and then 2022 state national strategic defense statement pretty much singled out China as the biggest threat to us, um, you know, global dominance, um, in, in the, on the globe. So, um, and, the 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 cementing of the US, of China's relationship not just with Russia but also Iran um, and the and the development of the Belt and Road Initiative that is that has continued have have all been seen as things that worry the U.S. rulers um, and U.S. capitalists. Um, so all of that figures into this moment, and particularly with the with the in my opinion with the U.S. losing the war in Ukraine and threatening. And arming right now Taiwan and threatening a new proxy war in Taiwan, um, you have these two big big leaders meeting together with the idea that maybe they can reach an agreement, maybe we can get away from conflict and things like that. Um, at least that's how it's put out there. Um, and I have some information about APEC, or at least a framework for talking about frame APEC that I want to discuss. So neither Kenny and I we didn't pre-discuss what we're going to say about APEC. So 
Kenny, why don't you start with what, what you learned about this? I mean, for me, the, the important thing is to kind of see what countries are part of this uh, okay. group, right? Because uh, yeah. I thought it was like, all right, it says it, it's the Asian Pacific uh, Economic Cooperation, right? Uh, forum, is it a forum, I would say? or I mean, it was put together as uh, as a, well, it was put together by the United States way back when. Um, I just think it's a it's a grouping of countries talking about doing common economic and then even possibly po- common security issues in in Asia and East Asia. And so, I mean, I'll name the countries uh, that are part of this uh, real quick. Uh, so you have Russia, People's Republics of China, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea. Uh, Brunei, Darussalam, uh, the Philippines, Hong Kong, um, Chinese Taipei, Taipei, Japan, the Republic of Korea, so that's South Korea, not North Korea. And then uh, that's what I was impressed about. So obviously the United States, uh, it's in there, Canada, Mexico, Peru, and Chile. Uh, so all those countries in the Americas are on the Pacific side, uh, but I didn't know like you know that these countries like Mexico between Chile were part of it. But um, did you want to say anything about that about that group of countries? Well, to me, what's it's not so much the grouping of the countries as to uh, the big issue for me is who started it. And this was launched in 1989. Um, it was not an initiative of China. It was not an initiative of Indonesia. Um, it was on the really the U.S. initiative. And the, the core countries that put up that made up that initial initiative were United States, Japan, Philippines, um, Indonesia was part of that initial grouping, Australia. Um, and I mean, I think it was pretty the way it was seen by China very early on, who didn't join until 1991, um, was that this really was Clinton's attempt to to create NATO in the um in the in, in Asia, um, and in fact, I'm going to be quoting from this book that I read a while ago. Um, it's by Peter Rushdoshi, The Long Game, um, and he talks a lot about APEC. and And here's what Clinton Clinton's statement about APEC at the time. Um, Clinton announced that the United States sought a new Pacific community, and that the American agenda in Asia involved three goals: working for shared prosperity. Uh, for security and for democracy. Um, and he's for what Clinton went on to say in another time, Pre- President Clinton had linked APEC to NATO himself in ways that shocked the Chinese. Um, this is a quote for Clinton. We can't, imagine ne- uh, we can't imagine now how we could have weathered the Cold War without NATO in the same way future generations may look back and say they can't imagine how the Asian Pacific region could have thrived in such a spirit of harmony without the existence of APEC. So um, while initially they talked about trade liberalization and economic stuff um, in terms of the United States initiative of APEC, it was clear that they increasingly wanted to talk about security issues together. And and the U.S. was attempting to use APEC, to like, like they were saying, to create essentially a, not a North American treaty organization, but a... East Asian and Asian uh, security and economic alliance that that was led by the United States. 
Um, and so China got in there later um, and they got they got in there, as this book argues, not to be like, oh, we really want to be part of APEC, but to basically blunt all the U.S. initiatives that were being taken up there um, and to make sure it didn't turn into a NATO for them. So China has been the re one of the reasons that I was pretty convinced that there was nothing that was going to come of this is China's reason for reason for being in APEC is to stop it from being anything that the U.S. can use it as a tool of dominance in the region. Um, when when I talk, when I think about an, an organization that China is using to actually shape its its role in the East, I, I think about the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which um, which China is a part of, Russia is a part of, um, and so. APEC to me is something that was a U.S. initiative meant to try to build control in East in Asia, in the way that they felt like they had control in Europe, and China's entry into China's participation in APEC has been to just stop them at every at every place they could, um, and to basically muddy the waters so that U.S. could not turn it into something they wanted that it that they could use to control it to control Asia. Um, I'll, I'll just say that. So my understanding is that the military component, right, like just like in NATO, is not existent right, in, in APEC, right? It's more of like, quote, unquote, economic, because um, literally in their website, they say uh, these are the participating economies, uh, you know, and so they, they there is no mention about military action. And so, um, like, it's, you know, you mentioned its creation under Clinton, the U.S., um, and, you know, that period of globalization right when that word became uh, right very and, and it was also the fall of the soviet union when you and by 1991 you're talking about uh bush the first talking about the new world order that is going to come as a result of u.s dominance in europe with the collapse of soviet union and then u.s projecting power through the middle east and into africa and into asia that was the that was the that was the goal that was the aim um and to turn it the war in kuwait uh, in, in the 91 war in Kuwait into the sort of like centerpiece of saying you either play ball with us or you're going to end up like Iraq. And like to me and the, you know, obviously these, these sort of uh, organizations um, are sold to the public in, in, in terms of inclusion, progress, uh, globalization, right? Like again, because of that time period that when it was created, um, you know, the promise of uh, bringing wealth and prosperity to everyone versus, you know, the, the the strings that come, you know, participating in this because you're agreeing to certain things that often, you know, the U.S. is not beholden to, right? Uh, certain treaties that are actually unilateral, they're not bilateral. You know, the benefits do not come back and forth. Uh, and there are other uh, organizations like this, like I know there's a Central America organization that includes Mexico, the Caribbean, and so in these economies, um, you know, if they want to play ball with the U.S., they have to be part of it, or they're isolated economically. You know, if, and, and, and then you know. So what I'm saying is that, you know, this organization, you know, in my view, um, it was created right to 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 wield power economically under the threat. In, in in the military aspect is it's in the background obviously but but you know the, the primary goal is to subjugate uh the participants to an arrangement that benefits you know the bigger markets which is you know the us and i suppose that you know they could not deny the entry of china because china was a massive economic power you know up and coming 
uh, in that time period, right, since it was created. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they thought they they. I think they were not trying to stop China from come, getting involved. I think they wanted China to get involved. I think the United States at that time thought that Pax Americana was was inevitable, as a, particularly after, after the Gulf War, and that's when China was invited to join. Um, and I think that China has played. And this is partly an argument made, and this in this book called "The Long Game" has played a long game role of slowly exposing to the United States that to making it making the United States believe that you can use us and and that you can use China to your benefit and slowly but surely turning that into something else turning it into opportunities for China to become not just being used by the United States but beginning to use the United States themselves and then be able to compete with the United States so there so what they have done is is attempted to hide really Within hide within themselves what their real aims and interests are, um, and their real goals, which were to compete with the United States, and ultimately, I I believe, even though China will deny this, become become the their become the global hegemon that the United States currently is. Um, I mean, I think other people think, oh, China wants to just share the world. I don't believe that's the case. I think any capitalist power is going to want to control the globe because it wants to control the resources. And Belt and Road Initiative is is part of that. Um, but I think China has done a pretty good job of sort of um, fooling the United States into believing that they're playing China, while actually China has been actually playing the United States. Um, and I think that's China's entry into APEC was th that U.S. thought would actually be a way of corralling them and binding them down so that they could use APEC to control everyone in that region. and. And essentially make sure that there was an American stamp on economic policies and on security issues, which means how the how the military is deployed and maybe even having U.S. military missions being done there, which was an aim of that. And China actually helped scuttle some of those things. Um, and and then slowly but surely, China would just basically time after time that, that then it goes through it in this book, um, stop the United States from from getting APEC to operate in a, in a way that could make it function in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a form that the U.S. could actually uh, push control on the economies in that region. So um, that's what China was doing. It was basically biding time and trying to make sure the United States was not successful in their NATO plan. Um, and, uh, and they were. And APEC has turned out to be kind of toothless, ultimately. Uh, and it was turned out to be toothless when there was an economic crisis in Asia. Um, and that's good for China. China didn't want APEC to have any teeth. Um, and what I think, what I think is really the lie under APEC is not the Asian Pacific or not the economic, it's cooperation. These organizations are not about cooperation. They, everyone comes to the table, but most of them come with knives in hand, particularly China did and Russia and United States did. And Russia, I don't think is even a lot. I don't think Russia has I think Russia has been removed from APEC or not allowed to to come to this APEC meeting um, because I don't think they're there um, in this. So I, I'm not sure their status there, but I think I remember hearing that Russia was was no longer was no longer invited to be part of APEC. I thought it had a representative there uh, that made comments. Um, okay, maybe they have observer status or something like that. Um, and so, just wanted to add to that, you know, that period, right? Of China um, becoming part of APEC um, 
and play that passive role, right? Like, in, you know, at the same time that they haven't been seen so much as a military threat, you know, they, they, they now are, have the biggest naval force in the world yeah. in terms of numbers, right? Um, maybe they don't have the, the, the experience, uh, you know, of occupying and conquering territories and they have their own way of asserting influence, but they haven't sat in the back and done nothing, right? And also their reach is not just uh, economically because you don't build a Navy that big just to have it, you know, for show and, and, and you know, and for peace. You, you, build it, you build it because you know you're gonna have to use it at some point. You know, and in, in the Pacific, you know, it's a naval uh, playground. You know, it, 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 it's 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 a lot of water. You know, in in like trade routes, in in um, dominating it or having a, the force to assert its power. And you know, that's what they built, been building naval uh, bases, right? In different constructing islands from zero. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in asserting their their force in, in other countries too, because there is a maritime um, disputes right with other countries. And where China has just pushed forward with it uh, because they understand the strategic um, need of asserting its physical military power for the long game, right? Because there will be, you know, a battle that has to happen at some point. Because um, again, you don't you don't just build a navy just to have it around just in case. Yeah, and China's navy is now starting to exercise. Uh, it was it was exercising, in, I believe, in the Mediterranean or around maybe in the Persian Gulf. It was it was near where US was putting its its navy in Iran um or around um Israel. So China was actually sending its navy in that region as well. So it's it is attempt what the difference between the United States and the China in terms of their navy is even though China has a bigger navy, US is able to project force much more around the globe. And China is not yet capable of doing that. Um, but it aims to um and it certainly aims to have a Navy that will blunt the ability of the U.S. to control what China does in its own sphere of influence. Uh, and that really is the role of its Navy yet. It is not yet a Navy built in the way that the U.S. Navy is to control all sorts of areas of the globe. Um, and, you know, you have the globe broken up into five different regions or something. Uh, the way And the way that the United States, I can't remember these different names that they have for different regions of control that the U.S. has. They have actually names for them. Um, but they have different um, carrier groups assigned to different areas to control those regions and or to help control those regions. And now you can see how they how they've been bringing a lot of things into our into Iran. I mean, into, near Israel to basically do the same thing and to threaten Iran and Syria and to say, if you make any moves, we're prepared to to fight you immediately. You don't have to. We're not going to wait. We're going to do it immediately because we now have a. Um, we have force right there that can make your make your life difficult if you don't if you do something we don't like the United States at least. And to me, it seems like also I, I see that China in the Pacific, the way the U.S. thinks of Latin America, its backyard, you know, and just by you know geographical sense, I guess uh, you know because it's their immediate you know environment. Um, um, do you want to say anything about uh, like you know what's come out of this meeting? Uh, um, yeah, I don't think anything came of it. Like, I mean, what was the ex 
I mean, there, the expectations were already getting lowered before it happened. And, and there's been these demonstrations as well, people talking about it. But the meeting was, I mean, basically, did it certainly didn't do anything to build cooperation between the United States. Uh, there, if any, I mean, what did they come up with? They Now their militaries were speaking when they didn't, the, the militaries weren't speaking before as a result of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Their militaries weren't speaking during that time. So apparently now the militaries are, are going to be on speaking terms again. So if they're doing something, they can talk to each other. I guess you could say that's something. And secondly, some agreement was reached about fentanyl, which the issue of fentanyl to me seems absurd because, like, I don't think of China, like, I think of our pharmaceutical industry as a, a fentanyl production factory. I'm sure China is involved in some way, shape, or form in that, but that just seems like a like a, a made up issue to be for me at least. Um, so if they if they reach an agreement about fentanyl, they reach an agreement, in my opinion, about nothing. Um, and furthermore, it was just very interesting to have Biden like come out and pretty much say right after he had talked and been all nice with Xi, Jin, <laughs> Xi Jinping to be like, "Well, do you still consider him a dictator?" And he go he goes, "Yeah, he is because because he is," you know. And it's like. It's just ridiculous. I mean, the, the guy's a doddering old man. He probably didn't think it through fully. I think that's not, I don't think that's what you have wanted him to have said. And you can save them calling Xi Jinping a dictator for once he leaves the, the country, you know, or, you know, for wait a little bit longer. Um, but it basically exposes that nothing was, no, no agreement was reached on anything significant about Taiwan, about Ukraine, about Israel, uh, about um, AI, because there was a, there was talk about AI being used to direct your nuclear weapons, and like maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And they couldn't reach agreement on that. All their talks are going to continue. Um, and and then on any trade issues, there was no no agreement reached. Um, but then, like I said, I don't think Xi Jinping was going to be going there to reach an agreement. I think he was going to go there to basically be like, and I, and the backdrop to this is China's economy has been struggling. Their housing market is bad. Apparently, uh, the amount they're, they're not producing as as much. So there's like a recession going on, um, and so some people are, were saying, "Oh, Xi Jinping is 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 going to the United States, looking for to to get his economy started by reaching out to U.S. businesses." Yeah, maybe because he is going to have a meeting with U.S. businesses specifically, um, but I don't think he expected to get anything from Biden, and I don't. I think he. I don't think they was looking to do anything other than foil anything the U.S. wanted to do that would help the United States. And nothing came of this that would help the United States. And I think, uh, I, I don't know if China comes out as looking bigger and better, but APEC turns out to be a, a, a nothing again. And that's good for China because APEC's, APEC is not a cooperation place. It was a, it was designed by the United States to be an, an, a, a group to, to allow U.S. to control the region. And so APEC continues to, to do nothing uh, this year, previous years, and looks like into the future. So do you think APEC means something to the, like, the other countries? You know, like, because in their mission statement, right, and obviously, like, that's what they claim to do. But they talk about things we talked about on the show, like, uh, you know, digitalization of, of, of you know, economies, um, Talk about AI. They talk about um, sustainability and um, uh, environmental issues. And you know, often we've talked about on this show um, 
the use of this language is often masking, you know, like the like the um, destruction of the environment, you know, social control. Uh, do you think there's anything to that, you know, any, any, any reality to, 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 to this sort of cooperation? Um, I don't, I, I'm not sure, like, well, I don't think all these 21 countries, if you put Russia and China and the United States, there's no cooperation there. That's, mm -hmm. that's a competitive thing that's, that's, that's bent towards conflict. That's, and a conflict is coming. Um, it's already there and it's going to, and it's going to grow. But if you asked me what the role, what the Philippines could use for this or Indonesia, I think it plays a similar role at like the WHO, which is it provides political cover for these four rulers there to impose policies that they probably aren't that popular at home. But they can basically say, we need to do this because this is part of a program that all of Asia is embracing. You know, they, they basically use these cooperation organizations to push policies on their own people uh, to say, well, everyone else is doing it. We got to do it, too, kind of thing. And and this will this will help us. This will help us as part of a trade liberalization and they, we will, you'll have more opportunities to get cheap products from so-and-so, or we'll have more opportunities to export our products to so-and-so. But in the, but in the end, the, each, each ruler gets to figure out which part of the APEC policies they can use to, um, to essentially get over on their own population. And that's what I think they're doing. Cause I, I don't, I, I think APEC strength comes from the, the United States and the United States has not been able to, to utilize it in the same way that it's been able to utilize NATO and turn it into a into a weapon for itself. So China has been successful at making APEC meaningless globally, but the member states probably still have a, a role. It probably are still part of it. One to please the United States for those who are who are concerned about that, like Japan and Australia, possibly the Philippines. Um, and then they also can get to push policies that they say, well, we don't have control over because we're part of APEC and they're we have to do this because we're part of it. That's what I would imagine. And it's, um, you know, obviously there's these countries, blah, 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 but, you know, there's also for me like a, a more local uh, view of, of this event as well, because uh, something that came, the, the first reason, <laughs> I knew about APEC was because San Francisco started doing, um, uh, I guess, sanitation, quote unquote, meaning cynical. Because um, there's a massive homeless population issue in San Francisco. Um, you know, and, and as a result of the COVID policies, you know, that happened. And, and so in order, in San Francisco has a massive PR issue. I think we talked about it on the phone. It's something that's in my mind. And, and so in the background of all this, of, a, of an event that doesn't really mean much, right, in terms of the big players, doesn't do anything, um, uh, there is uh, the facade of a local government or local ruling class of, of San Francisco in portraying, you know, something to the world while, you know, enacting policies uh, on their own population. Uh, you know, like my, I asked my brother, who still lives in San Francisco, and well, he was telling me that he actually heard that, well, he works in downtown where, where most of the homeless population uh, resides. And he told me that they actually pushed him towards BART, you know, in order to get him out of view. That, that, that's what, because 
my partner, she worked with this population in, in the thick of it. And, and, and we were wondering what happened, you know, what, where did they send them? You know, in this, the, the underground tunnels, you know, the, the, the train tunnels was where they pushed them. They allowed them to be there while, during this meeting, but they, they erected fences, uh, you know, these massive fences, uh, you know, obviously they have two heads of state that are super important, I guess. Um, and to me, this is like a, a metaphor <laughs> of, of what, you know, APEC, right, like represents, you know, on a global scale and also like on a local scale in every country, like you're describing, right, each ruling class doing what they have to do to control their people uh, in order to, to maintain power. And, and and also keep good optics, right? Because that's why they, they you know, when you go to the mission statement and all that stuff, they, they use the same bullshit language that any organization uses, right? Uh, inclusivity, Blinken went went to this uh, event too, right? He was talking about inclusivity and, you know, um, let me let me see what a quote of him is. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, so this is, something I read from the website uh, that quotes Blinken. Um, he says, uh, each of us recognizes that inequality within and between our countries hinders the growth of our entire region and that more inclusive economies are also a stronger economy, are also a stronger economy. And, and he goes and continues. Um, again and again, throughout this year, from Honolulu to Palm Springs, from Detroit to Seattle, and now in San Francisco, we've heard that citizens, the people we represent, are hungry to help build that more resilient, more sustainable, and more connected future. This is what Blinken is saying, you know, the emissary of war um, and, you know, destruction. Um, and again, it's like, you know, this language that is so pervasive in a city like San Francisco with profound issues, you know, uh, destitution, uh, in the you know the extraction really of, of, of in you know in really like San Francisco is the uh, the epitome of the future I, I believe you know uh, of many countries participating in this and the world um, you know fences you know hiding the the poverty that it creates through its economic policies uh, hidden under state of emergencies right the uh, I was we've argued right in, in the show that obviously they were full of lies and um yeah so I don't know if you have no and and it's interesting you bring that up because Blinken is partly just talking in in what's it called in this in this grand language it sounds nice but it's it's bullshit but in reality there was a disagreement between China and Russia I mean China and the United States over this and China scuttled it. Um, there was an article that I read that basically said, um, China objects to U.S. bid for APEC to shift trade and investment principles. That's the title of the article, but I'll read it here. China is objecting to a U.S. proposal for, for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation members to incorporate sustainability and inclusivity into their trade and investment policies, a source briefed on negotiations said Wednesday. And to me, this is meaningful only because this is exactly what China does all the time. With the United States, U.S. is bringing a principle, inclusivity and sustainability, which is underneath it or underneath it is somehow the U.S. is trying to get their finger foot in the door, their hand on the wheel of the of the, of the Asian economies using this kind of language. And China says, no, we, we're not, we don't support that. We're against that. 
And so what happens? This thing got scuttled. Like no agreement was could, could be reached. And earlier, when the U.S. had tried to get APEC to not be not be making decisions by consensus, but make them like democratically, if you will, like we, you get a vote, things like that. China scuttled that way back in the 90s, said, no, this is a consensus organization. You, if, if, if one member says no, then it doesn't happen. And China said no. And so that's what they've been doing, like over and over and over again. And so this is APEC is not there. To, you're not the, it's not about cooperation. It's about bringing your knives, bringing your little contracts that you're going to use to try to get somebody uh, to become subordinate to you. And it's about the other person trying to take out their eraser and say, no, we're not going to do that contract. And so these are these are uh, this is Asian Pacific economic competition. That's what it, that's what that, that's what they should name it. Um, and the same sh can really ultimately be said of the, the Shanghai um, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, except that there's more cooperation there because when the U.S. asked to be enter into Shanghai Cooperation Organization, U.S. the uh, um, uh, China said no, you're not allowed. Then U.S. asked for, well, can we just have observer status? No, you cannot. So they won't even let U.S. US there. Um, and this is very interesting. Um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization started in 2001, right? Around that time, and the U.S. is on a new round of projecting power. Um, and it and it started with Russia and China. Um, and this is listen to this language when they're starting the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Um, the themes Xi, uh, the, the, the Chinese ruler at the time, and Putin, who were meeting at the time, um, emphasized with respect to resisting American hegemony, appear in virtually every Shanghai Five and Shanghai Cooperative Organization statement. Sh the, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization came out of the Shanghai Five. Um, and so he notes this. These so these these are the things that are said basically in every Shanghai Five statement and every SCO statement. Um, many of these documents and speeches and speeches phrase these goals in terms of promoting multipolarity or democratizing international relations, which are euphemisms for reducing U.S. influence. The texts often decry, as they put it, the U.S. human rights pressure, uh, neo-interventionism, and missile defense. It was at a 1997 Shanghai Five meeting that China and Russia signed the Declaration on a Multipolar World and the Establishment of a New International Order. The agreement stated that in spirit of partnership, the parties shall strive to promote multipolarization of the world and the establishment of a new international order, and that no country should seek hegemony, engage in power politics, or monopolize international affairs. So this is back in 1997, prior to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization talking about multipolarity, talking about fighting U.S. hegemony. And this is the language of today. So it's not just U.S. that has plans for these things. Other ruling classes have plans, and you can now begin to see them putting them in, in play. What are we talking about now? We're talking about a multipolar world. When we talk about a multipolar world, we have to understand that as a political victory for China and Russia. And that's how they see it, because they were looking to create a multipolar world to basically say, no, we're not going to have one hegemon anyway. We're going to get in there. Now, everyone thinks this is about peace when we get the multipolar world. It is not. It is a, it is a guarantee of war. I, I, look, I'm not for U.S. hegemony. Of course, we got to take down our own government. But there should be no illusions that a multipolar world is going to be a more peaceful world. The multipolar world that China was looking to build back in 1997 was a, was a, a statement of we're going to take down the United States and we're going to be able to have a say in the world once again. And so 
That's what's happening right now. The U.S. knows that when multipolar is used, that it's it's set as a threat to them. And it was known then, and it's known now. So we've talked about, um, you know, this, um, how things are changing, right? Like the the U.S. hegemony has been challenged. It's been, um, I think it's been cracked in, um, in different ways. Uh, in, but there is people who make the argument that it, you know, comes, I, I think, from that uh, globalization world, you know, the neoliberal uh, idea that economic ties will secure um, peace, right? Like uh, this notion that the, if there is economic interaction, you know, that will lead to a most, more peaceful world. Uh, you know, there, there is um, economic ties between China and the U.S., right? We still get a lot of oh, yeah. product manufacturer over there. Um, I mean, I read recently that uh, China it, it has its first like uh, foreign investment deficit, right? Like where money is being taken away from China. And, and so there is some money going out. Um, and I'm sure China knew this day was going to happen. You know, I don't know if it's like... Um, a pattern, a long-term pattern or a temporary situation. But what do you say to that argument? You know, that there is, uh, these economic ties will uh, lead to peace peace in the world. And, 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 and do you see any cracks on those uh, ties that, you know, that rupture slowly or there's an abrupt, you know? Uh, I mean, I would just say that the world that went to war in World War One and, and World War Two was, was economically inter interpenetrated. U.S. May, U.S. traded with Germany. U.S. traded with Japan. Um, I mean, there was there was all sorts of things. Like they were trading until they weren't, you know. Um, and so that that never has that's the sort of thing has never stopped wars. I I don't actually think what that's what people mean when they when the the people who who have this fantasy of of multipolar peace. What I think they're saying is they're saying the U.S. gets taken down a peg politically, economically, and militarily, and then gets becomes a level playing field, and essentially thinking that there's this level playing, like a level playing field that all the parties will sort of balance each other out. Folks, that ain't going to happen. The U.S. is not going to lose peacefully. That's a loss. That's a defeat for the United States. They are not going to, they're not going to accept a situation like that unless, and the only way that, the only way they will accept a situation like that is be, is by virtue of economic, political, and military defeat, or revolution in their country that basically takes the, the question out of their hands. That is it, because they're never going to accept being not being the global hegemon. That's why everyone's always thinking that these neoliberals are crazy. They're not crazy. They understand that if you are not winning, you have to change, you have to change the game to get to try to get an advantage, advantage somewhere else. That's why they've got Iran right now in their crosshairs. They know they're losing in Ukraine. They know it's not going well in Taiwan. They're just thinking, okay, well, maybe we can get something going here. And because they know that unless they can turn the corner on this, they're going to continue to, they're going to continue to get defeated. And, and then they're going to have to do something very dramatic to change the game. And that's, and that, and the ruling class, U.S. ruling class is worried about that. They talk about it in terms of Russia. They talk about it in terms of China. But I think they know that if things don't get turned around, well, the U.S. has already said they're per perfectly, they said in their own national defense strategy. We are we we reserve the right to use nuclear weapons if we must, even if we're not 
even if we don't face a nuclear immediate nuclear threat, even with some sort of electronic countermeasure, could be the basis of using it. So there was no way U.S. and China were going to reach an agreement on AI and nuclear weapons. No way, because they're all looking to develop their own AI so they can get over on each other, and and that's going to be part of it. So that's why this data collection is going on. So what it this we they don't we don't live in a cooperative world. It's it's just not that. So. I don't, that's, that is my critique of the multipolarism that people believe. And they think that capitalism can, can exist in some sort of peaceful equilibrium. And it cannot. It is always tending towards monopoly. And if it's not U.S. monopoly that's being built, then it's going to be China's monopoly that's being built. And when, once China's monopoly is being built, there's going to be another, another power that's going to emerge that's going to try to take it down. I mean, I personally don't think we're going to get through that because I think nuclear conflagration prior to that but you know maybe maybe there is a world war four i don't know yeah and i think there lies a critique that i have against like a lot of people who call themselves marxists or you know but you know in align with the chinese project right as a project for the new world you know that's the new society that you know that you know they see that as a vehicle for changing the world for the better um and uh again but it lacks the understanding that this world it, 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 well, wait, so the argument goes that china is is doing things differently than the u.s they're not invading countries yet right you know uh and, and so they're more peaceful uh in the peaceful form of capitalism i argue uh in but that that will lead to peace, you know. But that 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 leaves out the 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 reality that they have to. That's why they built the navy, the biggest navy in the world, because they have to be ready to assert themselves when they when you know when it comes when push comes to show, right? I mean, that's what was at stake in, in Ukraine, right? Like we, it, that's why Russia called the gamble because uh, you know that that's the reality right there. <laughs> when you have to draw a line, you have to be willing to do what Russia did. Yep. And we're being pushed against the corner. And so, again, just to add to what you're saying, like, yes, you know, that, that's the world I see too. It's not a world that, you know, that reaches a balance because there's someone with supposedly higher values. No, you know, everything is underwritten by violence in this system. And, and they all understand it. You know, even though they, they, they portray, you know, the democracy card and, you know, the the inclusivity and the human rights bullshit. You know, at the end of the day, they're gonna have to bomb and destroy and, and use whatever country, you know, and make them Ukraine or Palestine, right? In 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 in, in on the road to victory. Right. In like these are the first like um uh, pieces on the chessboard, right? And 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 but then like like you said, if they're they're losing, if they're not, they're gonna have to do something dramatic like flip the whole table and, and, you know, and see what happens because if we're losing might as well find something else. Correct. And it's not because these people are just dedicated to violence. It's because capitalism demands that when you have two opposing sides that cannot, that can, whose competition cannot be resolved. Well, it, it's competition can't be resolved peacefully. If one side doesn't lose economically decisively, then the other side is going to have to use some tool political or militarily to like to resolve this it's just there's just no way around it and so the the reason any country is going to use its military is to resolve political questions or economic questions 
that it that are decisive for its existence or for its for its growth and and that's just why a military exists under capitalism is to allow the various states to resolve these things in their favor um and it's not it's not a question of military industrial complex these things aren't there just to support people getting rich within the military or raytheon although that happens there is there's all sorts of ways that people take advantage of this stuff it is because violence is the de decisions that are made are underwritten by violence and it either it's violence imposed on the working class but through a rep repressive ab apparatus of the police and 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 um jails and prison system um or internationally of its own military so that's how things ultimately really are decided under capitalism and uh if you don't have a big enough military to decide, then you've got to find a, be a benefactor who does, who, who you can skate with, where you can get a few benefits. But you're never going to be a major player unless you have the power to do violence to somebody else and make them yield to you based on that violence. Yeah, and that's what happened, right, in the Second World War. I mean, there was a, a, a sort of a convenient uh, cooperation, if you say, between... The Soviets and you know the Western powers, you know that lasted until the war was over. Yep. <laughs> then you know then the Cold War happened, you know, which is often spoken of as a as if it didn't have create a lot of destruction. It absolutely did. A lot of people died in, in those all those decades by proxy. You know, uh, you know a lot of battlegrounds in foreign lands. You know, and and so. You know whether we see the ultimate battle immediately, right? Like, because we don't know. We, we keep saying World War Three, right? But we don't know when. It can be a year. It could be tomorrow. It can be ten years. Um, but we know that it's the, based on this analysis that the system is just inherently unstable, and you know it's chaotic. And 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 even though they they seem to put uh, measures in place to prevent, you know, uh, sort of. Uh, regional and global catastrophes you know of uh, like war um you don't know what can trigger that <laughs> you know that, that's that's what that's what's like that's what we've talked about right like the missiles in in finland or or russians are afraid of having missiles in ukraine that are operated by automated systems right that because something can trigger a war in like the response uh with modern technology is out of our hands right and, and so again like um whether it's a death by a thousand cuts, right, uh, or an immediate sudden collapse, more battles are coming because these these powers are, you know, China is no longer sitting in the background treaty, you know, um, and and th their hand is going to be forced too. They're going to be called to battle, you know. They they won't forever sit behind Russia, you know, um, doing the dirty work. You know, because that, that is again a, a, a to me the uh, a also temporary arrangement. <laughs> I don't, we don't know what can happen afterwards. You know, it, it, between those two, uh, yeah. because they each have their own ruling classes, their own interests, and um, you know, sharing in this system, it, it's it's not stable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So nothing came of APEC that was of any meaning. The war. The world, I believe, continues to move towards ever-widening war. 
and no way Apex is going to do anything. It doesn't even offer a speed bump to it. Um, and in fact, it, it has, we have our president who literally hours after talking with Xi Jinping calls him a dictator. And it's interesting. I don't even think China responded. I don't, I don't even think they were like outraged. I think they were just like, whatever, you know? And in fact, I imagine they look at it like, oh, this, you are a decaying power. You don't even have a leader who can speak. It must give the Chinese a lot of confidence that, that they're going to be able to defeat the United States. And I think China's just trying to figure out how do we do that without setting them off into some crazy nuclear war scenario that ruins everything for us. And I think that's, that's the thing that China's trying to figure out how to do. And it, it won't be able to figure out how to do it because I don't believe it can because there's no riddles. There's the only way to solve the riddle of capitalism is revolution. That's the reality. It can, does not get solved by it. Some capitalist ruling class figuring something out. So that's my opinion. Do you think there was any value for Xi Jinping, you know, in coming to the U.S. That's um, uh, in terms of, you know, like uh, China and you know they're like depicting him as a statesman, uh, you know. It, well, I think it shows that China is willing. They know that that I suspect it does in terms of world opinion. And since the world seems to be shifting more in the direction of China and Russia, it shows everyone knows that U.S. is trying to turn Taiwan into another Ukraine to screw with China in the same way that Ukraine is screw with Russia. And everyone knows that the Ukrainian population has been decimated for U.S. global hegemonic aims and that U.S. is about to do the same thing to Taiwan. The fact that even while the U.S. is doing that in Taiwan, a Chinese leader can come over and try to like make peace, if you will, and, and be like, I'm willing to come over and try to cut a deal and make a deal. That's going to make them look more statesmen, more like willing to cooperate. And the fact that they have a leader that at least knows not how to like make a fool of themselves, that that's going to play. That's going to be better for them. I mean, in terms of like putting together the jigsaw pieces of the globe and which which side which side will have more pieces of the puzzle on their side. I do think it ultimately helps China. Um, but in terms of the world, I think it's another, again, another another step in the direction of war. Inevitable war. And it, both sides even said it. Both sides even said, maybe we can reach agreement now because it looks like we're coming into a, a bigger conflict later. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know much more to say. Uh do you have any questions? Or? Um, I, last thing I would say is, did you make anything of these demonstrations? Personally, I didn't pay much attention to them because it was like, taste great, less filling. I didn't even, like, this, this APEC meeting doesn't mean too much. But it seemed like more part of the theater of the event and to actually try to give it more importance than it actually has in terms of what deciding anything. Um, and I, I, but I'll be honest, I didn't pay too much attention to anybody's side in terms of these demonstrations. I mean, uh, it was used as a vehicle for the people who feel strongly about the Palestinian case more than any global, you know, at least that's my sense from, you know, what mm -hmm. I've seen and read. I know that 
there was uh, a blockade of the Bay Bridge, you know, a major bridge right in, in for hours they detained the traffic and to advocate for the Palestinian cause and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I mean, uh, again, I, I said in the last show, I'm a cynic about this because, you know, I, I heard a protester that, because they were protesting outside the Democratic uh, headquarters, Democratic Party yeah. headquarters. And one of the protesters, um, you know, very animated, that seemed like the type that I used to organize with and, uh, you know, the quote-unquote radical. But she was talking about, you know, we're demanding from our elected officials to do this thing. You know, so as much as they, you know, want to be radical, they still, you know, very much entangled in the partisan politics. Um, you know, there is no independent um, organization. And so I, I, I don't, I mean, I expected some sort of demonstration. I don't think anything significant will come out of it. Um, yeah. And I guess I would, if I asked myself what would have gotten my attention, it's not like there's all these stuff was walled off, penned off with fences. And everyone seemed to agree that, to accept the fences. And all these demonstrations took place outside the fences. And police were beating people up outside those fences. To me, the only thing that would have gotten my attention is an attempt to break through the fences. Yeah. I mean, that's the world that they're creating more and more. So if you, if there was, if there was an attempt to break through those fences and get the people inside, I think now you've got my interest in terms of that demonstration, like, Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, that's where we're at now. Exactly. I mean, those, the fences are just accepted, uh, you know, in, uh, and they're getting taller because I saw those the ones they built, and I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if, but if you're, if you're, pro, if you're protesting outside the fences, then you're pretty much have already accepted the terms that the ruling class has set for you. So, I think that's at this point that's the only thing that would probably get my attention is something that doesn't accept the ruling class terms. Yeah, I mean, they were very safe. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we our side still hasn't decided to make war on their side. Yeah, yeah, I still think yeah, this the the dominant current is still, like I said before, like the Palestinian cause is going to become part of the election somehow. You know, you know, even though like it'll probably be some sort of uh, dumb Trump fight Biden bullshit that they use in the last election. You know, like. Uh, and so, I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything that really makes me think, you know, okay, this is something, you know, just like you. Like, I'm, yeah. again, I'm just too cynical now about uh, yeah. some of this stuff. Well, let's see. Hopefully, Eduardo listens to this episode. Eduardo, this was for you. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as well as our rest of our audience. But, uh, um, and uh, we'll see what people make of it and see what people say. But I, I am glad I, we had that we had to look at this more deeply. Yeah, I am too. I mean, so we're, there's always more than meets the eye. And yeah. that's why it's yeah. important to talk and figure stuff out. Because yeah. I definitely learned stuff that, you know, you looked at. You know, mm-hmm. so. mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Kenny. Well, thanks for uh, doing be part of this discussion with me. And hopefully Eduardo will be back next week. Um, that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes. 
wherever you found this episode or on our blog, what's what's left podcast.com. You can find past episodes of this podcast channel there and connect with us. I remind people, if you like anything you've heard, please subscribe, rate, review, and turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, or Telegram. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, So that's it for me, Andy, and Kenny. Um, Hope to have you all back next week, and we'll see what we're covering then.